Welcome to The Real Deal, where God, His purposes, and His people are celebrated. I'm Rachel Inouye, bringing you encouragement through real life, people, and their stories. It's The Real Deal. Hey, let's get started. All right, I am delighted today to have my friend Shanthony with me, and I just want to give you a little bit of background before I shoot her some questions that I normally do. Shanthony grew up with a deep love of God and world missions, and I believe that not only did you grow up with it, but it continues to be the DNA of you. I love that about you, Shanthony. She is a wonderful woman who grew up in India, and both of her parents were evangelists, and I think that's part of your DNA as well. She's a trained psychologist and a PhD in clinical psychology. She worked in India as a clinical psychologist, but after moving to the U.S., she decided to stay at home and homeschool her kids. And I'm really glad because that's how we met or that's how we know each other. There's a lot more on her bio and I just want you to refer to the show notes about how amazing she is and the ways that God has equipped her. But let me just ask um, a couple of things of Shanthony like I always do. First of all, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for being here. We're just going to ask a couple of questions. This gets the listener used to your voice. Okay. Okay. So as fast as you can answer these. Do you think you're an introvert or an extrovert? Extrovert. Coffee or tea? Uh, both. Depends on the day. <laughs> uh, time of the day. So. Okay. Coffee in the morning. Tea first thing in the morning. Oh. And then coffee before six o'clock in the evening. Otherwise, I don't make it through these. <laughs> but do you stay awake also if it's too late? After 6.30 maybe. Yeah. But. Yeah. Would you say cat, dog, either or neither? Both. But as long as I'm not taking care of them. <laughs> I was just going to say, I'm going to have to inform your children of what you just said. Okay, as long as you're not doing Morning bird or night owl? Either. Depends on what I need to do. So, I think I know you as a morning bird, but when people are involved, you'd stay up for them. I would rather stay up at night, but if I miss the morning, then I kind of feel like I've missed the day. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, would you say books or movies? Books. Silence or music? Uh, both. Yeah, I think so too. Would you say you're leaned in or laid back? Uh, it depends on whom I'm with. Who are you the most laid back with? I think with family. Shower or bath? Shower, because our bathtub doesn't have a stopper. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so out of necessity. Out of you'd necessity, have to keep... I do not have a bath. So <laughs> you'd stick your heel in that little spot that's supposed to be for the plug. That's good. Uh, driver or passenger? Uh, passenger. Yeah. Okay. Now, you know, the, the thing that's funny about these questions is I asked them or I generated them a long time ago. I just don't know anybody that can solidly answer one or the other because it, a lot of things mm-hmm. do depend. And I've yeah. had a lot of people say, well, it depends, which it does. Yeah. And um, it requires decision making, which is not my strong point. So <laughs> that's not true. Would you really say so? I do not like for my birthday. Yeah. The one gift I ask for is a no decision day. Mm, so yeah. yeah just make some decisions for me and let me go for the ride yes that's good that's good okay this question I often ask in the beginning you know my father mm-hmm. and he loves you so but one of the things that he says is to be the real deal no phony baloney just be the genuine article who would you say Shanthony is somebody in your life who's the real deal they were who they were you you just there was no mask about them and how did it affect you I would say my dad he was the real deal. I mean, he, uh, you knew how he was feeling. Mm. He made 
you know, made no bones about that. You watched him broken, mm. uh, watched him, you know, and, and again, we saw him through places that he was broken. We saw him through places where he needed to forgive and the journey he went in that. Saw him through places where he had to stand up for justice and what was right against people who were doing wrong to him, wrong to him or to yeah. others. You know, and he was very real. He didn't, he didn't hide his feelings. Mm -hmm. He was who he was. Do you remember what age you were when any of those happened? And can you elaborate how it affected you? I, I remember this one time where I must have been in my middle school years. And so there was a situation where he was from a, a lower caste. Um, and uh, there were people from a higher caste who were, you know, not giving him opportunities or not letting him do things because of just because of the caste situation, even even though there were others who wanted him to take up positions of leadership. Mm. And I remember he, my mom was so angry, you know, because she wanted to fight for him. And uh, yeah. we as kids were, you know, we knew the story and we were hearing what other people were saying around him. And we were so angry with the situation and we wanted to fight for him. And it was so incredible because at that point of time, God was teaching him lessons on forgiveness. Mm. And he just forgave and he loved lavishly. And it was just such an incredible, it just took the air out of all of our anger. Yeah. You know, and so it was just very beautiful to watch. Mm. So I wish I had met him. Oh, you would have loved him. Yeah, I, yeah. I really think I would have. I yeah. Every time you speak of him, I love what you say. Yeah. Uh, I love the stories that you give that are part of his preaching, but more kind of his, just his character, mm -hmm. yeah. just who he was yeah. is amazing. So while we're talking about your dad, how about just some things about growing up in India? Tell us, I mean, I didn't grow up in India, so mm -hmm. what are some things you remember or that helped you to be the real deal? Because by the way, you're the real deal. Thank you. Like, I love you and I honor you. I, I don't find oh. pretense in you. I find that you're comfortable in your own skin and it, it kind of divides people. Like, like me or not, this is how I am, you know? And I think yeah. it's freeing when you meet people like that. So and tell I, me about India. I think you're the real deal too. So <laughs> India, well, it's warm. <laughs> it really is. That's the thing I like most about India. Just the warmth. Yeah. yeah. To be able to walk out without needing a jacket. It's, it, it's a whole different lifestyle. So I like the warmth because, you know, there's ways you, I've, for me, the familiar places with God are always the outside mm. warm places, you know. So outside and cold, no, yeah. it's outside and warm that, yeah. you know. So yeah. I love the warmth and growing up in India, that was a big part of it. I, um, I love colors and mm -hmm. India is, you know, all about colors and it's, so those are aspects of India that I love. I love, we had a great family, Yeah. you know, and so just being with family uh, and, and our church, our church in India was just such a vibrant, fun community. Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. and community in India is so different from community here. You know, yeah. here we think of community, we think of a small group. Well, community in India is everybody's in and out of your house. You yeah. know, we, we were in charge of the youth group. So at eight o'clock at night we'd have 20 young people come and knock at our door and say hey what's there for dinner and they'd empty out our fridge and our freezer <laughs> and we'd be thawing things and you know yeah. cooking things and 
and they'd hang out or they'd come anytime during the day and say and sit and talk to me or pray with me you know, it was just mm. a different lifestyle uh, just a sense of community which yeah. was I, I so love the so idea. different from does next Thursday at twenty at twenty to two work for you? Exactly. Because I have an opening from twenty to two to two o five. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? What? So like the thing that surprised me, I think right the first thing that surprised me when I came to America was play dates. You know yeah. that you would actually arrange time. Yeah. To let your kids play with somebody else. It was just. So out outside of yeah the very community very experience right. yeah oh gosh that's so good but then you moved to a place where there was playdates all the time because you lived in a young neighborhood and your yard became the like, community yeah. place for everybody yeah <laughs> so we had nineteen nineteen of our neighborhood kids in our backyard playing so, uh, football mm. most of the time so mm. yeah that's amazing that's so fun okay let me ask you let's touch just a second on how that community in India and that your home was fair game to everybody, how has that influenced you for this concept of open table? Do, would you be able to talk about sure. open table a little bit? I think it's yeah. amazing. Well, I think open table was just, open table is what we do is we just invite people. Anybody who wants to come can come. And yeah. if you want to bring your friends, bring them on Sunday night to our home and we have dinner together. So there's no expectations just dinner. And I think the reason we started that, we actually started it as just dinner for middle school group leaders who were meeting at our house. Right. I was going to ask yeah. you, it started that it way. It started there. Yeah. But then we met a couple of people who were grieving losses. And when we talked to them, they said, well, we can handle the week, but the weekends are when we feel really lonely. So I thought, well, we Feeding the middle school leaders, we could put you in. And I knew, I think Americans don't just come when you're invited. You have to come to an event. So mm. right off the bat, I was talking to this person and he was saying, oh, I could never come to your house. I was like, no, we have an event and it's called Open Table and you can come <laughs> and have dinner with us every Sunday night. And so he came and so, and so it became bigger and bigger and so now we have between 20 to 40 people who come yeah. every night and it's, every it Sunday is, night it's such a highlight for people's week I really I really believe because there's no expectation mm -mm. like you said and come as you are yeah that's so great and I, I would say do you feel like it met the need in the sense that you watched as you walked through grief with people yeah it it, it brings people people feel like they belong mm -hmm. so I I was just sitting and thinking through last night. I was thinking, on any given Sunday night, I don't talk to all of the people who come home for dinner. Right. You know, apart from saying hi or something yeah. like that. But I watch and I see everyone, not almost, everyone is talking to someone. And I feel right. that that needs that need of, I need to feel like I belong I'm in community. I have yeah. someone who listens. So yeah, yeah, because that that um, releases you mm -hmm. to be a gracious host and welcoming them, but right. not like if if they didn't talk to Shantani, they didn't get their need met. Yeah, yeah, because that's a little bit of a messiah complex mm -hmm. anyway, right? But you just yeah. go, oh gosh, they had a touch point with them. Yeah. They had a touch point with them, yeah. and you watch. That's mm -hmm. beautiful. 
I, I, I would agree. It happens with me when I'm there. It's a wonderful thing. It really is. So you're good with people that have ache. Mm -hmm. Is that out of choice or is that God's calling on you? How did you get involved with that? Well, I'd say, oh, I think, I think growing up the way I grew up, because yeah. my parents were both in ministry, and they were a safe place for a lot of people. And so, you know, there were a lot of who, people whom I would call Nicodemuses who came in the middle of the night <laughs> to, you know, ministry leaders, like big ministry leaders who would come at late at night because that's the only time they had and they felt safe and they would come home and my parents would counsel them, counsel their, them individually, counsel them, them as couples or as families, pray with them, cry with them. You know, so it was part of our growing up, <clears throat> this whole concept of being a safe place. And then I think as I prayed about, you know, what I, I, remember, I remember very clearly in high school, praying about what God wanted me to do. And I, I studied psychology because I believed that that was what mm -hmm. God was calling me to do, to, to be in a place where I could counsel others. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, so it's just is something that I grew up with, something that I trained for, mm -hmm. but I think it's God's call. So I, I yeah. do. I think it's amazing. I um, personally want to thank you for being a safe place for me. It's... Um, you know, I have this friendship talk that everybody needs a Paul, somebody, mm -hmm. you know, further along with them in the faith, a Timothy, somebody younger in the faith you can pour into. So a Paul, a Timothy, a Barnabas is your encourager and a Nathan's your truth teller. Mm -hmm. And I, I did that talk for years and years and years. And then I hit this more than a speed bump. Mm -hmm. I hit a bump in my life and I'm like, I've got to add, you need an Aaron and a her. You need those people that can hold up your arms in mm -hmm. battle. And I and I would say that this this talk was lacking. These people, like mm -hmm. when Moses went into battle, Aaron and Hur held up his arms. Mm -hmm. And when that was happening, they were successful. But when he put his arms down, they were losing, right? And so that's just symbolically like when you're strengthened or mm -hmm. when you're failing, you yeah. know. And I, I remember calling or texting you and saying, okay, you're my Aaron or my Hur. You and Rosalind. And I had... I had many people that upheld me, so yeah. it's not like it was mm -hmm. just you guys. But what I mean, it was just you guys in the way that proximity, you were close mm -hmm. to me, prayer, you were near me, consistency, you would check on me. And everybody needs an Aaron and a her. So I don't know which name you consider. <laughs> so you can call yourself Aaron. You and Rosalind can duke it out. But I really personally, and not because it's on this podcast. I, we can edit it out if we want, but I mean it. Thank you, because the way it made me carry on, and by the way, sometimes you carry on and you don't even know that that part needed such bandaging, mm -hmm. but in other areas of your life, you're actually flourishing. Yeah. So it's kind of this weird thing, like you don't really go down the drain, mm -hmm. but you have this part that just needs somebody to bandage so that you can be victorious. Mm -hmm. So thank you for being that for me. And I would know that the way it happened to me is the way it happens to anybody who goes to you for that. So thank you. Thank I, you on behalf of the body of Christ. Thank I thank you. you. In India, we have a story. So there it was a Christian, a Christian leader, really, in India called Sadhu Sundar Singh. And many people, when they looked at him, they would actually think they'd seen Jesus because he so reflected Jesus mm -hmm. in his life. But he tells a story of how 
there was this time he was walking through the Himalayas mm. and they, it's snowing, he's barefoot. It's snowing, it's cold, it's up high in the mountains. These are the tallest mountains in the world. And he and a companion are walking down this path trying to get to the inn before they can't see the road anymore. And they're, f they're freezing cold and they see a man lying at the side of the road and he looks like he's dead. And so his companion says, he's dead or almost dead, let's get to the inn. And Sadhu Sundar Singh says, no, we need to carry him. And he's like, man, if you carry him, you will never make it to the inn. We're already half dead mm. ourselves, you know. And so he's like, no, we need to carry him. But this companion goes forward. So Sadhu Sundar Singh carries this man. He, he feels a faint, faint pulse. He mm. carries him. And he's tumbling towards the inn. On the way, he sees his companion has fallen and is frozen, uh, dead. But he makes it to the inn. And he realizes that he's made it to the inn because the warmth of the man he carried and his own exertions in carrying this man have given him life to yeah. carry to the inn. So I think, you know, when we carry each other's burdens, I feel like that. I feel like I have grown spiritually just praying for you. Mm. or you know mm -hmm. or walking alongside yeah. you and the same thing with others i mm -hmm. we grow mm -hmm. deeper in our understanding mm -hmm. of jesus we get life yeah that's so true us. that is so. so true and there's something about um pouring out feels like well then you'll be depleted when actually you get filled through it exactly yeah, and it's very one mm -hmm. of those opposites of god the last shall be first yeah give you receive mm -hmm. you know how yeah. does that work but yeah um I want to I want to go back to a safe place. You you grew up in a safe place for people to come to. You are a safe place. Open table is a safe place. What do you think makes a safe place? Jesus. Well, that seems like I I think Jesus. I mean, this is something that I've been noodling this just the past few days. Yeah. Is and it sounds so like over like high up here, and okay. I'm trying to say how does it work down here okay is the resurrection of jesus how does that make us a safe place then you know makes makes us safe because we serve a resurrected jesus mm -hmm. you know and because he's alive he's here with us so we wherever we stand is the holy of holies because right. we are in his presence so if he is our safe place and we stand in that safe place living fully in the understanding that he's alive, he's with us, he's for us, he uh, is in us, he yeah. loves us. Yeah. We get to hear him, see, feel him, experience him. Then we are safe. You know, no matter what the circumstances around us is, we are safe. And then we become safe places for others mm -hmm. because we are ministering and bringing people into that safe place. That yes, makes sense. that makes so a lot of sense. So it feels like it's up there, but it's really something. Very practical. That's practical. Very practical. Yeah. And and I feel like a safe place in the resurrected Jesus is that there was a death first mm -hmm. for there to be life. And there was a time where you think it didn't go right. Yeah. Three days later, you have the third day, exactly. Easter morning, right? So a safe place could be somebody who's already died. 
mm-hmm. died to certain things in mm-hmm. their life. So they're safe for you with you because they realize they've died to something. Yes. But they're new in life. Exactly. You know, so the resurrection is in, in my mind, I'm seeing a lot of the real practical. Right. And there may be something in their life that felt like it went sideways. But three days later, you know what I mean? There was a resurrection and then exactly. they're safe because uh, they're safe because you feel like they're not going to either judge you, condemn you, or make you feel as though something's just broken that you have this death. Right. Does that make sense? Right. So. Yeah. No, yeah. I've been, I'm parking on the story of Peter this summer. That's yeah. been where I'm at. Yeah. And so that's kind of why I'm at this place. But, you know, Peter, it's his big failure yeah. where, you know, Peter, you Peter consistently fails in the whole story of the gospel. You yeah. see him over and over again. But then he comes to this denial, where he denies Jesus, and you know, if there's a place of flunking out, mm-hmm. that and you know he has said that I'll never do it. I will be your best friend. Mm-hmm. I will stand by you even if everybody leaves. And here he denies Jesus, yeah. and there is no going up from here because it's like you know so low down. And, but then, and then there's no redemption because Jesus is dead and on the cross. And so he's like, he can't even go and say sorry. Yeah. Right. So it's just going, getting worse Worse. for him. And then there's the resurrection. Mm -hmm. And then he meets Jesus and he realized this is not the end. Right. You know, and so often people will say your failure is the place of your greatest strength. And it isn't. But your failure is the place of where you have the greatest story of how God was with you, walked with you, didn't leave you, didn't abandon you, mm-hmm. loved you through it, uh, and then brought life yeah. through it yeah. and uses you through it. So Yeah. Yeah. His grace is sufficient, you know. Yeah. His power is made perfect in our weakness, mm-hmm. not in our strength. No. Yeah, it's beautiful. That's true. So do you have a do you have a place where you felt there was a failure or a brokenness or a, or a time where you felt unsteady in your life and I don't know in, in a real deal sense or being the real deal where are some of the places where God strengthened you to be who you are now this woman that's sitting and chatting with mm-hmm. me now has life because mm-hmm. there would have been some bumps uh, you know, I think failure is one of those things you deal with every day, you know, like this morning. I wanted to have this glorious time, spending time with God. I had this whole plan. I woke up at yeah. 5.45 in the morning and then I picked up my phone to see the time and suddenly Facebook, you know. Oh, yeah. And then I'm going on Facebook and then, oh, I'm on Facebook. I should stick Insta. And then I'm like, no, no, no. I got to go and spend time with God, but I need to check the weather. I can look outside the window. It's gorgeous. But, you know, I need to know the temperature. And then I get distracted by the news. And then before I know it, time goes. Time goes. And I I feel like, oh, my gosh, there, there you go. You know, or or then I I went out and watered the garden. And then there's weeds all over the place. I'm like, shoot, this one thing that I like doing. It's just, yeah, I think. I think the voice of shame and the voice of failure are strong voices for all of us. And it's like a daily thing. I think there was there was this one, for me, one of my big places was this one time. The, the place I always get into trouble is my mouth. Mm. So uh, there was this one time where I told a lie. It didn't affect a lot of people, but, yeah. you know, it was 
it was a lie. And then there's this voice like, oh my goodness, you're a preacher's daughter, look yeah. at you. Or you walked with God for so many years, look at you. And you know, this condemnation, shame, shame. condemnation, shame. And it, you know, and it just kind of ratcheted up and it went on for, I think for a good, I'm trying to think, almost 20 years. Yeah. I had this voice of shame saying, you did this, you did this, you did this. And it was strange because I had asked forgiveness. I knew God had forgiven me. Yep. I, uh, you know, it was just an incredible thing because I knew all the right things, but I didn't feel forgiven. Mm. And then there was this one day, my mom sent this story and it was just the most, excuse me, the most ridiculous story. Uh, where she tells the story about this preacher or this little church in, I don't know where. There was this woman in this community who was, who just lived a life that you name it, she did it yeah. kind of thing. And she became a believer. She f found Jesus. This is a real story, right, though? We don't, oh, I, okay. I, I okay. don't know if it's a real story, if it's or a fake allegory. story, okay. uh, whatever. But she found the story and she sent it to me. Okay. And uh, so she comes into this church and the, and is becomes the vibrant, vib I mean, her life has changed, Yeah, you know, completely changed. And uh, she's a vibrant follower of Jesus. She's involved in all of the things in church. She just reflects the glory of Jesus in mm. everything she does. And the pastor of that little church had a son who was her age. And sooner than later, she fell in love. Uh, they, he fell in love with her. They were engaged. They were going to get married. And the whole church was divided, completely divided, you know. And uh, they were like, do you know this woman's past? Do you know all of the baggage she brings in? How can she marry a wonderful pastor's yeah, son? Our golden we boy. Have, our <laughs> golden boy. We've watched him grow up. And so... Uh, the, it became such a big issue for the church that finally there was this, the, the elders of that church got together and brought the boy and his, this girl in. And they said, we just need to talk to you. And uh, so they listed out the sins of this woman and said, do you know what your fiance has done? And so the pastor's son stands up and says, well, there really is only one question here. And the question that is, is the blood of Jesus sufficient to cover all mm. of our sins? And if it is, then we should not be having this conversation. Amen. But if it isn't, we should be having a different conversation. And for some reason that clicked in my brain, yeah. that the blood of Jesus was sufficient to cover everything, past, present, and future. And you know, the, just that forgiveness was so great. So it just like melted something off of you yeah. that had hung over you or s attached to you or whatever you want to say. Exactly. Oh, wow. That's so good. That's so good. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Seriously. Okay, so your mom sent you that and your relationship with your mom was really special. It was, yeah. You could tell us something about your mom, but I also want to know the story about a monkey in a jar. His hand is in a jar. Or <laughs> who tells the story? Your mom or your dad? Well, they, just... they both did, but actually the stories are not from India. Okay. 
These are actually stories from Africa. Okay. And they're called the Jungle Doctor stories. Almost like we have Aesop fables kind of things yeah, where we learn a moral but, principle because of them. No, but these were stories that uh, a missionary in Africa developed to to minister to the children around him. So okay. he would take stories okay. of animals. Yes. And I would hugely recommend Jungle Doctor stories for okay. anybody. But That's good to know. Anyways. I do want you to tell that one. I think it holds more for people than they may know. Okay. Any children's story, right? Yeah. Can teach us something. So the the monkey, there were two monkeys in these stories, and one was Tito Monkey and one was Toto Monkey. And these two monkeys got into all the trouble. Yeah. So I the the story is Tito Monkey is getting into trouble. They're, they're trying to paint the hospital, and these monkeys were coming and, you know, playing with the paint and getting all, okay. you know, they were trying to put, the Red Cross on the hospital, but the monkeys had red fingerprints all over the walls because they were playing with the paint and they okay. couldn't keep the monkeys away. So the way they d they decided to capture the monkeys is they put a can with a few peanuts in the bottom of the can and a little hole at the top of the can. So the monkeys could put their hands in, but once they grabbed the peanuts, they couldn't pull their hands out. Because their hand was like a fist now. Right. Okay. And so uh, so they captured these monkeys because of that. And so the missionary doctor said, sin is like that, you know, looks attractive. But once you grasp ho hold of it, as long as you keep your grasp on it, you are trapped. Yeah. But when you let go, yeah, you can be free. So, mm. so good. So good. Yeah, I don't remember when you told that one, but I remember thinking, maybe it was when we were in India. I feel yeah. like we might have been in that little room in that lower level house area where we stayed. Yeah. I don't know, that's my recollection. You know, I can't remember meeting you. I remember seeing you mm -hmm. at church with a stroller, would have had to be your daughter, yeah. because your sons would have been um, old enough to walk around exactly. or whatever. I can't remember first meeting you, I just feel like I've sort of always known of you since I got to that church. Does that make sense? I, do yeah. you remember first meeting? No. I don't. And I, I would say the same about you. I've kind of like knew about Rachel. Other people talked about yeah. Rachel, saw Rachel everywhere. But yeah. I saw you with, a. I feel like it was a big black stroller, had a big, and your daughter would have been in there. That's all yeah. I know. But yeah. since then, we've done a lot of things. Mm -hmm. We've been a lot of places. We've done a lot of things together. And it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> it has. We have similar giftings mm -hmm. and very different personalities. Yes. And it's been good. Mm -hmm. It's been really good. You are a really incredible chief. <laughs> Even though I don't like making decisions. You don't so. like making decisions, but you really are. Like, you get a lot done and you mobilize people. And it's it's really a gifting of yours. It's really a gifting of yours. Maybe, why are you laughing? Does it get you in trouble? It does, I think, because I'm like, okay, come on, people, make a decision. Let's go, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, but we have done a lot of things together. Is there anything that sticks out in your mind that is like a silly story or a I'll never forget that or anything? Because I don't have something in mind. I'm not asking you, remember the one. I don't have that. But Well, you remember when we were in India, where we did that conference in India. Yes. And at the end of it, we had to do a silly skit. Yes. You remember? And then we... we covered our faces, <laughs> yes. right? But we had eyes and a mustache yeah, on our chin. On you our keep chins. your chin exposed. Yeah. And then you put like a bandana or whatever right. from your like 
upper lip down, covering the rest of your face. Exactly. And you invert yourself, so you're laying upside upside down, and all you had was your chin and your mouth, right? (laughs) And I'm the one one person in that whole team that doesn't have a chin, you know, like have like this thing. And it was just yeah, but you it was just so funny, yeah. (laughs) We were laughing more than we were doing anything there. So I think you end up. You end up singing a song or doing something, but it, it looks hilarious for the audience. But I think what I remember liking about that was it wasn't what they were expecting our team no, to present. No, And it's also funny because I think God prepares in advance the things you need to do. <laughs> My sisters and I have done that since I was probably in third grade, right? And then you're in India and you can pull out, well, what did Joyce and I do? We used to lay on the couch, invert ourselves. Exactly. <laughs> and my dad but, even would take pistachio nuts and make like a painted eyeball on them, you know, like really looked like eyes. And we just kind of drew it on with mascara. Remember yeah. we like put a dot here right. and put a dot there and yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. yeah. So we, <laughs> India, that was a, that was fun for you. I feel like, right. I mean, it was. it was amazing to be where you grew up. I think I met maybe even your junior high or high school minister mm-hmm. guy that came for a little yeah. while when we were having dinner. Yeah. yeah. So. And your mom was there. Yeah. Yeah, wasn't your mom there? It she was there. Yeah. Remember okay. we giggled, my mom and I giggled giggled through the whole skit. This is the problem with my mom. So yeah, once she starts laughing, you can't stop her. Let's pause a second. If you are enjoying the real deal with Rachel in a way, subscribe, rate, and review it. I appreciate your support. All right. Back to the real deal. Tell about when your dad was preaching. And you and your mom, were you, it was, or was it your brother? Like on the front row? Well, my, my mom, I, I cannot, you know, my mom and I used to sing a lot. My mom yes. was a beautiful voice and I would sing alto uh, mm-hmm. for her yeah. beautiful soprano. And because my dad was a preacher, we did a lot of these camping crusade things. Yeah. And so we were his band and she would get up there and if there was something that, you know, she found funny, she would start giggling. And then, so I would take up the soprano and try to st- go on with the song. Yeah. But she was so infectious that you just couldn't, <laughs> couldn't stop. You know, I, I was telling my bro- uh, uh, my kids the other day, there was this one, uh, this uh, one, one time we were in a Bible study group. And, you know, remember that story I told about my dad and people who uh, you know, were putting him down. So one of the people who were put, who was putting him down was leading this Bible study. And it's just a small group of people. Yeah. And he, he was talking about people being stiff-necked, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, well, you should listen to the sermon yourself. And, and, but he wouldn't say stiff-necked. He, would, he kept saying stiff-necked people. <laughs> <laughs> and... He went on and on. He wouldn't stop. He kept saying stiff-necked people, stiff-necked people. <laughs> and my mom, you know, you you just knew if there was an environment you shouldn't laugh, that was an environment you shouldn't. Yeah. But she couldn't. And she, <laughs> she you could see this bubble, a bubble, a bubble. And she started, she just like get, laughed. And then my brother and me and my dad's glaring at us. And we were just like, in tears and yeah that was but that was a regular occurrence with my mom yeah so, yeah yeah 
she she was a very joyful woman. <laughs> she was a very <laughs> joyful woman. And the things she told you sometimes were yeah. kind of shocking. Yeah. But kind of just the real deal. Yes. Like she wasn't different at church no. than she was at a yeah. home group or, you yeah. know, out in the community. To me, you, she would just tell yeah. you things and you'd be like, okay. Yeah. But not in a bad way, like no filter, mm-hmm. but sort of no filter. Yeah. Does that make sense? Exactly. Like, <laughs> Yeah, that's good. I, I remember when she died, two people come, two two of our friends came to the, uh, uh, came to the door. They had come to visit her, oh. and they were so shocked that she had died. Yeah. And uh, so our friend Jacob, he's he's telling us all these stories of you know just how godly she was. Yeah. And Jill is telling us all these stories of these inappropriate jokes that she was <laughs> saying. <laughs> yep, that's my mom. So. Yeah, coin has heads and tails. So do people, really. Exactly. You know what I mean? Sometimes we show people one or the other. Yeah. Sometimes people are privy to both. Yeah. Oh, that's good. So tell me about the day your mom died. It was, was it hard, and are there beautiful things from it in your recollection? It was very sudden. You yes. know, and that's, it's kind of like, you know, suddenly you rip something apart, and, you know, it's just that, that sense of a, something just tore over there because she was mid-sentence talking to someone uh, she was actually trying to witness to this doctor mm. and but trying to build a relationship with her first and so she was in mid-sentence talking to the doctor the doctor asked her to lie down so that she could do uh, exam just or whatever. The exam and she lies down she had a clot in her lung that tore through her heart and just blew out her heart you know, and we didn't know there was a clot. So it was just an instant, you know. So I think some of, it's so blurred because there were some, there are things you remember and then there's so much that you wish you remembered, but you know, yeah. like I wish I knew what she was saying at that point, but we were just laughing at the way she was asking this lady questions. And, yeah. You know, really wanting to engage with her. Uh, but there were things like, I remember, Code blue being, uh, you know, the button being pushed, mm. and everybody running into the room, and everybody being shocked because they were all talking to her, and and I remember the doctor saying, "What just happened? What just happened?" You know, because mm. Mm. we didn't know what had happened. I remember not knowing what to do because they were all looking to me to make a decision, and you know, how I yeah. make decisions. And I was so glad that Rosalind was there at that time, mm. and she said, "No, your mom said." no resuscitation and so that was helpful and you know but it was still a hard decision to make yeah uh but then and and then you know they all left the room once they had pronounced her dead and her eyes were still open Mm -hmm. and that was you know i i still remember the way she stared at me and then she died and the and the, her eyes were still open and so I closed her eyes. Mm. So there were those kind of things which those little memories but also those memories the this big sense was this is how she wanted to go. Yeah. She wanted to just, you know, put her head on Jesus's lap and be done. Mm-hmm. So and she did. She did. And she was an evangelist till the last breath like Absolutely. she was literally was it a woman an Indian doctor or mm-hmm. somehow she kind of yeah. connected or were they from the same town? Something. Yes. I just remember how God orchestrates these things Absolutely. that you cannot make no. up if you were to try no. to script it. Exactly. And you had maybe a doctor that went before you and admitted her, or 
Yeah. Just your path was really taken care of. God had God had planned every detail. Yeah. Yeah. But so. evangelist down to the evangelist end. down to the yeah. Wow. To the last like yeah. yeah. She was amazing. I <laughs> she her. was. I, I she really was. I see a lot of her in you, and I see a lot Thank of her you. in your daughter. There's certain times when mm -hmm. I think your daughter really looks like her. Yeah. You know, it's. Uh, it's a cool thing. Okay, a different topic. When you came from India and then you moved back, came here, then you moved back and whatever. You have told me before, and I, I kind of want to touch on this if you feel comfortable doing it. When did your identity in Christ get more secure than what, like, when Americans say, what do you do? Because that hmm. what do you do is who you are to mm -hmm. us. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because that's one of the topics you speak on, identity. Yeah. So growing up in India, especially in the south of India, the Christian world is, well, the Christian world worldwide is small. But in India, it's even smaller than that, mm. you know. And so both my parents being preachers, my mom used to sing on radio, my dad, yeah. you know, we, we, people knew our family. Yep. And so it was almost anywhere I went, I was Raja Tyagraja's daughter, Tara Tyagraja's daughter, people knew who I was. Yep. So, uh, a lot of my identity was in who my family was, yeah. you know, who my parents were. And then a lot of my identity was in my education or, you know, the things that I had studied. And so everywhere I went, I was the psychologist. Mm -hmm. So there was, you know. Kind of pedigree kind of things. Exactly. So those those were things that, uh, you know, Vin, my Vinod would tease me uh, saying, oh, you know, he would go to church and he'd, he introduced himself as Shantani's husband because in the Christian world, everyone knew okay, got it. Uh, who I was. So anyways, coming here, it was interesting because nobody knew who I was. Nobody knew who my parents were. They couldn't care less. Mm -hmm. uh, no one who, uh, and because when I came here, the initial visa we had, I couldn't work. So my only identity was the stamp dependent on my passport because I was dependent on my husband. Yeah. You know? So not having a job, not having an identity, that was a huge part. But I think also not having purpose. Hmm. Because my father really didn't into us that you're Indian and you're Christian for a purpose. And that there there's a whole country of people who need to know Jesus and you're here to be a witness to him. And so that was a yeah, life so then trajectory. Where have you landed, sort exactly. Of. And so you come to America, which is like the most Christian country in the world at that time, and you're like, why am I here? Mm -hmm. It didn't make sense. I felt like I had lost purpose. And then I wasn't working, so I lost any, you know. So I didn't have, I didn't, I didn't have meaning. I, I didn't have identity, and I didn't have meaning. So there were these two, I, two big things that were taken away from my mm -hmm. life, and I felt like at that point of time. And this was around the same time as that whole lie had come into yeah. play. So I felt like God had taken me and set me aside and said, stay there. So it felt like a punishment, mm. but it also felt like uh, that I'd lost value. Yeah. And uh, Low point. Very low point. Yeah. And it went on for three and a half years because, you know, I felt like it was dry. I had lost, again being in a colder climate in a place and, <laughs> and I was, freezing cold. I was pregnant and I had a little one year old and one and a half year old at that time and so I was inside the house a whole lot. Yeah. Wasn't you know, couldn't go out. Yeah. So all those familiar places of meeting with God were not there. So I felt like 
it was a very, very dry place. I felt rejected, felt alone, felt felt like I didn't know who I was, mm -hmm. you know, and that nobody else knew who I was, right. you know. So that was a hard time until three and a half years later, I was reading through the book of Exodus. Mm -hmm. And I read through this whole passage where just the people of Israel going from, you know, one day they would put their tent down and the very next day the cloud would move and they would have to rip up the tent, the tent pegs and move. Or they would put the tent down and then they wouldn't know it, but for two years they would be in that same place, yeah. you know. Either planted or on the move. Planted on, yeah, or on exactly. the move. And so the, the message that God gave me that day was, I've called you to be a tent dweller. You know, and a tent dweller moves wherever my spirit moves. And if I've, I've asked you to move here, then this is where my spirit is. And this is who you are and where. And, was, and so it was a big aha. But it's been an aha that you grow into. Yeah. You know, and I, I don't think I'm really there yet. So, Do you feel like you had a moment of surrender? Or do you feel like you had a hand on whatever and God not like in a mean way, but starts to take your fingers and pull them off of whatever was being grasped? Or do you feel like it's just more of a deeper, 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 more awareness of a vision of your life? I don't know. I'm asking because I think somebody out there mm. is feeling alone, feeling uh, um, a sense of isolated, maybe loss of purpose. And mm -hmm. It's okay to say, I haven't figured it all out, no. but what were some of the steps that you feel like God used? Because, by the way, he never works the same way with anybody because no, we're doesn't. all different. But there could be something that would be an encouragement. I, I think one of the cool... So I was, I, I was reading through Ruth a few years ago, mm -hmm. <clears throat> and the word for hope, apparently, is the same word <clears throat> in Hebrew as rope. Mm. You know, So you think of Rahab with that rope... Uh, put outside of a window in, in you know the story of Joshua and mm -hmm. Jericho that rope represented hope yes you just know? hanging on it's just hanging on everything around you is crumbling right. the whole city is in mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. shambles mm -hmm. but your rope is the hope that you have clung on to and mm -hmm. I think it's more that the I, I, it was a moment of surrender for me but I think it was in the middle of your pit all of a sudden you see a light and it makes sense and then you ha you see a rope, and you you know that that rope represents hope, and it, it is your hope. So yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing to me how sometimes we have an awareness of what God's saying, and other times it's like an effectual call, mm -hmm. and it hits our spirit. We were watching a VHS tape. That's how <laughs> long ago it was, and it was the story of Joseph, mm. and similar to the whole Prince of Egypt thing. Yeah. It was, um, that would be Moses' story, which was really well done also, but it was the one about Joseph. He's in the prison, and the animators have this one little plant that grows up, and he's sitting there, and he's been mistreated. His brothers don't understand him. He's literally in the prison, and he starts to sing in this little animated show I'm watching with my kids, and he says, you know better than I. Mm -hmm. You know the way. Yeah. I let go. The need to know why, because you know better than I. And I'm watching this with my children, and I'm living here, I think. I don't remember. I just remember going, whatever it was I was facing at that time, 
being like, I don't get it. Whatever it was at the time, I don't even remember what I was struggling with or what I was not understanding. Yeah. But it was this moment of, you know better than I. Yeah. You know the way. I let go the need to know why because mm-hmm. I'm kind of a need to know why. Because yeah. if I need, if I know why, I can see the purpose. Exactly. If I know why, I know what to do. If I know why, I might be able to move the chess pieces mm-hmm. around. But it was like, I let go the need to know why because yeah. you know better than I. And something shifted in my spirit like, that's actually very freeing. Even though it feels like, yeah. ah, it's yeah. really freeing because it's like, okay, mm-hmm. I don't, I can take my hands off. Jesus, take exactly. the wheel, actually, exactly. you know, and I, I just remember thinking God will use anything because mm-hmm. here's this little video for kids yeah. and my kids probably, you know, ran to the bathroom during that time because he's having this little <laughs> song and I'm like, this is so profound. It, it is. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's think there are people on the other end of this. Mm-hmm. And you have passions and you have topics that you speak on and there are things that you've been asked to do and there's people that you help. Is there anything that if we were to close right now, you'd be like, rats, we didn't talk about or I just feel compelled to say because I really believe people are on the planet for a purpose. And is there anything that I haven't asked you or that you want to impart to people or say? But this thought just came to mind. Yes, go with it then. One of the things that I've always wanted to speak on. Yeah is this thing that my GPS will say. There's a seven-minute delay, but you're on the fastest route to your destination. You know, and I thought, oh, that, that's such a great sermon topic. You're, there's a seven-minute delay, but you're on the fastest route to your destination. Okay, I bless you in developing the talk because <laughs> then we can do it. We get to minister together, which is beautiful. I can do the recalculating. <laughs> you know. It's like you take this path and your GPS just goes, wait a minute, brrr. Yeah. <laughs> and so often, I know the plans I have for mm-hmm. you, declare this to the Lord. Exactly. We think, I know the plan I have. Mm-hmm. And if we haven't done that one thing, then we are voted off the island, disqualified. He's angry. Yeah. And he's like, I know the plans I have. Exactly. And sometimes they're plural. Yeah. So recalculating, I'll still get you. Exactly. On the path. exactly. And you can speak on delay. <laughs> exactly. And I can speak on recalculating. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Well, one thing I do know, Shanthony, and this isn't just flattery because flattery is a form of a lie. When we've done Bible studies together and when we've done things together, everybody will speak about your wisdom. And I want you to know the wisdom comes from someone who has a fear of the Lord, right? That's what it says is the origin of wisdom is the the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge comes with that understanding. So we know that's true. And I thank you for being a woman of the word. And I thank you for persevering, even in times where all you were doing was holding on to a rope and you didn't know. And I thank you for being honest that we don't have it all figured out, even though we're in our 50s. We don't have it all figured out, but God has it. Yeah. Because I think that's the real deal. Absolutely. And I think it brings people hope yeah. to know that he's good and he's got us. And I, I really am very grateful to first of all know you but also call you friend Mm. and i believe god has us expanding in who we are but i feel like we will always be somehow connected if that makes sense like even if it doesn't feel like you know what i mean and and i'm not prophesying that we're going to have divergent paths but i just feel like he Mm -hmm. in his goodness has brought us together and i'm better for knowing you and i'm grateful and likewise okay Okay. (laughs) all right this is a little bit of a teary podcast. I'm very touched, but I, re- I really mean it. So would you feel 
comfortable I would just be privileged to have you pray over whoever is listening to this and and then I want to just say a quick prayer over you okay oh father God we thank you that you are our God and that we don't need to struggle or look for you because you're here with us and so Lord Jesus we thank you for the work that you have done on the cross and that you invite us into this relationship with you father God we thank you that because of Jesus, we get to know you. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for the work that you are doing in our lives, sanctifying us, growing in us the image of Jesus so that one day we all reflect his glory. Lord, I pray for everyone who has listened to this podcast. I pray, Lord, that they would know you and that, Father, the, their experience would be even in the pits, that they saw you that your your resurrection, yeah. your cross, your resurrection was the hope, was the rope that they held on to. So Lord Jesus, be their God, be their strength, be their victory. In your name we pray. Amen. God, I just want to thank you so much for this time. I want to thank you for this day. Mm -hmm. I know every day ordained for me is already written in your book before any of them come to be. And I'm grateful for today. I'm grateful for my friend, Shanthony. I'm grateful for the life that she has, God, and the, the way you've shaped her, her spiritual gifts, Lord, and her heart for ministry and for you and her abilities, Lord, her personality, her experiences. There is no part of that that is a mistake. It is all the fashioning of an almighty God who speaks in and through people because we're made in your image. And I want to thank you for her life. I want to thank you for her giftings. I want to thank you for her background. I want to thank you for her family of origin and her family right now, God. I thank you that it contains her husband and her sons and her daughter. But God, I also thank you that it includes anybody who knows you, mm -hmm. Jesus. And she brings in those who don't even know you yet. And so I, I just pray a blessing on all things that she is involved in and all things that she is going to do and, and the future that she doesn't even know about. Lord, I, I just pray that you'd richly bless her. And I thank you for the favor you've already put on her life, God. I thank you for the things that she does through her background and the things that she does going to prisons and helping people in Bible studies and, and making decisions and governing well and just the way she is an influencer in so many areas, God. And I just ask in the name of Jesus that you would supersize that package, that there would just be a sense that you are doing greater things than she could have ever asked or imagined. And that she would look back, God, and know that it's because of you. And she would, I know she's so quick, but that she would be so quick to give you the glory. So Lord, bless, bless her, bless her, bless her. And I thank you, God, for the listeners. I pray, God, that each listener would be the real deal. And I thank you that you just want them to be who they are, but who they are in you is really valuable. And it's a, it's a company of world changers when we're the real deal based in who you really are, God. So thank you for your goodness, and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, friend. Oh, my goodness. You've been listening to The Real Deal with me. Rachel Inouye, helping people celebrate their significance and the genius of God in them. Audio engineering by my husband, Michael Inouye. Thanks, babe. Theme music by Andrew Grace. 